Welcome back to the Cheap Heat Productions podcast. Okay, welcome back to the show. I have an exclusive and rare interview today. <laughs> Mr. Brian Donahue, actor, stuntman, professional wrestler, all-around sports player. You've done it all, Brian. How are you? Good. I've done a few things. Maurice, first of all, I'd like to say on, on from the get-go, thank you so much for having me on your show. It is absolutely wonderful. And I'm not sucking up because I'm already here. And yeah. I just want to say that it's uh, the show is well done. And... Um, just the interviews have been brilliant and uh, I've been, I've been doing my homework and just um, checking things out and it's, it's fabulous. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks very much, Brian. Yeah. We kind of do a pop culture show. So we'd have people from wrestling, TV, movies, you fit into all these things anyway. So you're definitely an ideal guest for today. Wonderful. Wonderful. The first thing I have to ask is I am Irish. Your name is Brian Donahue. You were known as the Dublin Destroyer in the WWF. The Dublin Destroyer, yes, sir. There has to be an Irish connection somewhere with you. There absolutely is. I mean, um, I come from I come from just south of Boston, Quincy, Massachusetts. Um, I don't want to go. Um, I don't want to open up that fourth wall, but I'm actually not from Dublin. I, I, I don't know if you picked up the Boston accent, but anyhow, uh, I'm a fifth generation Irish out of Boston. And uh, I think we might be we, we might be related. We all are. It's an Irish thing. Who knows? Yeah, that's right. Well, Donahue is a very common name. It's a very common name over here in Ireland. So, you know, it's it, there's definitely some connection there somewhere. Well, I believe our family, our family actually is from County Cork. And the okay. town I grew up in just south of Boston, Quincy, is the sister city to Cork in Ireland. And uh, I believe we we've got some we've got some Viking blood in us over there, and 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 needless to say, the Irish and the, the gift of gab, um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. It's all it all ties in. Yeah. Uh, do you like a glass of whiskey? Uh, you know what I did years ago, Maurice. I'll be quite open about that. I have been over the years. Uh, I stopped drinking like 31 years, 32 years ago now. Wow. And. Uh, I just, um, you know, I mean, I, you know, when you were a kid growing up in Boston, you, you started about 11. So by the time everyone else is just getting into it, you've been there, done that. And you pretty much, yeah, it's, you don't need it anymore, really. But um, I do enjoy buying other people bottles of whiskey and as gifts. And uh, if their name is Maurice, especially. <laughs> and uh, yes, but um, yeah. I, 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 I'm a great host and, uh, and I'm a great one to go out with. And half the time people just out of 
being in the surroundings, people say, is he drunk? Is he drinking? And they're like, no, he hasn't had a drink in over 32 years. And they go, oh, then there's something wrong with the boy. Like, yeah, that could be it, too. You don't, you anyways, don't need it. No, not now. No. But anyway. Yeah, what I was going to ask you, when you were growing up, um, yes, sir. What in, what interest did you have? Did you want to go into sports full time? Did you want to go into acting? Did you want to do both, or what was your goals? Well, okay, growing up in Boston, I had a very interesting family to say the least. And um, my family comes from me. Um, they used to put on the uh, vaudeville shows and uh, the variety shows and such. And so, as a young boy, I was taken to different, you know, shows and different events at different churches and different facilities. And um, I mean, I remember at ten years old going into Walpole Prison uh, State Penitentiary with the family while they were up there singing and dancing. And I'm looking and I'm saying, even as a kid, I said, "This is an interesting crowd." And um, but I, I had an aunt, Beatrice Canella. She God rest her soul, just died um, two years ago. But anyway, Beatrice and my Uncle George were uh, professional dancers with Arthur Murray. They were an international touring group with Arthur Murray Dance Studios. And at five years old, she would have me doing the waltz, the rumba, the cha-cha, the foxtrot, et cetera, like dancing, on the, dancing with the stars. Yeah. And then she grabbed me at five years old and said, a woman wants to feel like she's being held firmly. And I said, okay. I'm five years old. I don't even know what that means. Anyway, um, I grew up also with um, a lot of sports people in my life. Uh, my uncles, my brothers, my, my, my family, uh, many friends uh, were pretty hardcore athletes up there, whether it be football, track and field, uh, wrestlers, et cetera, et cetera. And so I kind of got the full gambit. I kind of got a taste of everything, and I, I fell in love with everything. Uh, so I had, you know, the theater background. I had the dance background. I had the athletic background. And just just kind of, it, it's kind of instilled to this day, Maurice, it gels. And I, I, I kind of take all of them, and I put them together, and, and I parlay one into the other, back to the other, back to the other, and then I combine them all. So I've been fortunate over the years to be the, a stunt actor where I am able to play my own characters and then along with that, uh, do my own stunts and do my own action. But okay, I went a little off, off track there, but okay. No, no, but no, you're, kid, you're friend. I'm sorry? No, no, I said you're cool. Yep, you're cool. Okay, thank you. Thank you. But uh, yeah, you know, like I say, yeah, I, um, I always did love uh, the sports. I always did love the, um, the stage. And um, uh, yeah, so yeah, I had a good a good head start when I was when I was young. Yeah, did you and, uh, did you focus on the football first, Brian? Uh Yeah, actually, uh, I was a football player since I was um, nine years old. I was I was a Quincy Elk. All these other teams, Maurice, had these the Apaches and the Raiders and the the Killers and the Stranglers, and when I, we were the Quincy Elks, based on the Quincy Elks Lodge. And everyone else had these cool helmets with these vicious emblems and these growling Vikings and stuff. We had a little elk, and it looked like a, um, a little um, um, jackalope. It was a little elk head with these giant antlers, and it was smiling at the camera. You know, it, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I was a Quincy elk, and then uh, worked my way up into high school, 
got involved through my brother was a shot putter, my uncles were shot putters, et cetera. And um, I got into track and field and football. So I was doing both. Uh, we didn't have a wrestling team at the high school. I would, probably would have jumped in there too. But I was a, um, a football player primarily and then got into track and field. And then track and field started to really take uh, center stage for me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, I was involved in sports from a very young age all the way up. Actually, my mom, I should go back a little bit more. When I was six years old, I believe, my mother used to get up at three o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, she passed. Yep. She used to pick, take me at three o'clock in the morning because it was the only time the young kids could get the ice time because it was very, very tight. And she would drive me down to a rink, which was 45 minutes away, and sit there for two, two and a half hours while I, <laughs> you know, I wasn't very good. I had to learn, but, you know, you know, skate, skate, fall, skate, skate, fall, that type of thing. Yeah, so she deserves a lot of credit then for yeah, the kind yeah. of career path you went down for sure. You know, so yeah, absolutely. I seen a nickname online, but you don't know if what you read online is true. Where's the nickname the Sled Slayer come from? The Sled Slayer, absolutely. Hook'em Horns, Texas Longhorns. Uh, I was down there in 1982 on the Texas football team, the Longhorns, in Austin, Texas. And we were doing drills in the two-a-day camps in August. It was 120 degrees on the field because there was a, a giant thermometer on the side. We had new AstroTurf, turf, which really attracted the sun. So it was 120 on the field. Guys were dropping left and right. We're doing a seven-man blocking sled type of scheme for defense now. I was a nose tackle. And we're hitting the sled, hitting the sled. We came to the middle sled, and I hit this thing so hard. I was strong. I was a strong boy. And I hit, it was an Irish fury. I hit this thing <laughs> and I broke the hinges off it. And it wasn't one of those easy sleds that just have one little thing that goes like this. It was all attached in six different spots. I broke every hinge off it. Then when I saw it was broken off, I took it and I threw it at the coaches. And I said, I think you're going to have to get this one fixed. <laughs> right then, Jeff Lighting, who was a linebacker, he's also passed on. Everyone's passed in my life, Maurice. I mean, we're the only ones left here. And <laughs> Jeff Lighting was a middle linebacker. Um, he looked like General Costa, good, good friend of mine at Texas. And um, he turned and he goes, my boy, my boy, there's a sled slayer. Well, that stuck. That was my nickname now for, and it still is, guys I talk to, you know, like in the call, they give me a call or, or they send texts or whatever or, or emails and Laurie picks up the Facebook stuff. And it's, it's, yeah, Sled Slayer. How's the Sled Slayer? I'm still going. Yeah. Still the, sled, going. the Sled Slayer, was that a nickname you could carry over to the wrestling world or did you? You know what? We I thought about it a little bit. I think I did use it a few times, but no one quite got what the heck I was talking about. And then I was Brian the Basher. And then I was just Brian Donahue. And then uh, when I jumped up and I was with Vince with WWF, and uh, what happened there was I was working nightclubs. I was working construction. I was doing all kinds of odd jobs to make ends meet while I was trying to develop, um, you know, commercial and, and small TV roles. And, and I was involved just getting going with wrestling at the same time, everything at once. And I, um, I was at the club one night 
and I'm working the front door and it was good. It was good for me to deal with people and I didn't have to hit anyone. I wasn't, there's no need people. If they have a bad night, they have a bad night. We deal with it in a, in a distinguished way and, and with some eloquence. Anyway, a gentleman came up and he's talking to me out front and he was, a, you know, not a, not, he wasn't homeless, but he was, he was pretty close to it, but he was, he was telling me that he was a former tailor. He was a tailor. He was a tailor years ago who fell on hard times years ago and his family had all either passed on or moved away and he was on his own. Anyway, he, um, he said, you know, you need a ring jacket. You need something. I've seen you on TV and you're the guy that, you know, you fight all the guys with WWF. He goes, I'm going to, I'm going to get you a jacket. The next week he came in and he gave me this beautiful silk jacket and it had the embroidery on the back and it said he goes i hope you don't mind but i kind of threw a name in there and it said the dublin destroyer a week later we're up in portland maine i'm in the ring mike mcgird is announcing and she said ladies and gentlemen currently in the ring and this was a big match i think it was against um i think bret hart possibly and she said and I, I stopped her for a second, acting like I'm, you know, I was playing the heel. I was trying to, mm -hmm. you know, pretend that I was going to hurt or whatever. And she goes, what, what? And she covered the mic. I said, uh, Mike, I'm the Dublin Destroyer tonight. She goes, you're the what? <laughs> I turned and I showed her the, the jacket. And she goes, have you cleared? Well, you know, Vince is a businessman and it's his show. Have you cleared this with Vince? And I go, and I was going to lie, but she was going to check and I'd be dead anyway. So I said, uh, no, not as of yet, but I'm sure he'll love it. She goes, I got to check. She went over to Gorilla and a couple of the people down there, Tony Gurria, and she said, uh, he said that they called it backstage. A minute later, she comes over and she looks at me and she goes, my God, you Boston guys are crazy. She said, ladies and gentlemen, currently in the ring at six foot five, 320 pounds, the Dublin Destroyer. And she, that was it. And we're off and running. So yeah, so that's we ended up with the moniker the Dublin Destroyer, yeah. and uh, I love it. And, how did uh, you, yeah. how did you get into the WWF? Okay, what happened there was um, I was again working, still working the wrestling, but I went, but I was doing the small circuits. I was doing yeah. um, with the Savoldis here in New York. I was doing shows with Tony Atlas and such on uh, Sports Channel. Uh, working with Herb Abrams' group, UWF, the smaller circuits, uh, small high school shows, college shows, et cetera, et cetera. And um, the, a gentleman said, a, a gentleman who was uh, Al Schaefer was his name. He was a um, he was a worker, a journeyman for WWF for years who had come in through Terry Gavin and a couple of the other uh, established gentlemen from WWF. And he said, listen, you ever thought about he goes jump into the to the big time you ever thought about going up and with vince and working with wwf and i said well i said no i've never had any contact with them or this and that i don't you know i don't even know how to approach that i i think you got to put you know years and years in but again my life up until that point had been jumping 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 i was all over the place yeah. so i had never been with one thing for a huge amount of time so I said, how do I do that? And he goes, well, let me talk to Terry Gavin and um, um, uh, Pat Patterson and, um, uh, you know, Gorilla and these guys, and let me see what, what we can do. 
well, obviously I'm going in and I'm, and I'm going to have to work my way in and, and hopefully um, get into the good graces of these gentlemen who have, have been giving their whole lives to this and let them know that I'm not a threat. I'm just here to help you and to help this show progress. And, and I knew what I was there for, and I knew that I was there to, to give 200% like I have in everything else I've done in my life. And uh, so I, I had my first match in Worcester um, in 1991, the Worcester Centrum. Well, I went, now picture this, Maurice, I'm walking out. You know the shows I'm talking about. I went out where my family was the only one in the audience and a couple of other people who were sitting with their chairs facing the other way because they were drinking so much. I went from that, no joke, I went from that to, ladies and gentlemen, currently making his way to the ring at six foot four, 250, whatever they said, 290, whatever. And I come walking out, the curtain opened at the Worcester Centrum. I said, what the, what is this? 15,000 people, TV cameras, the lights are going, the whole thing. Now I'm in the ring, all right? And I got my family up here because we're all from Boston. So I got, you know, a slew of tickets. Arnold Skoland used to always give me a bunch of tickets for, for family or just people in the small towns to, yeah. to you know, promote. And uh, all of a sudden, Benjamin currently making his way to the ring at six foot three, 285 pounds. The British Bulldog. Well, I thought that place was going to collapse. It was so loud and so exciting. And I went in my first match, and I had a great match with him. And it was solid, and it was smooth. And I said, yeah, I've worked hard enough because I realized then, in that moment, that I had worked at so many different things that I could use in this ring. So I had done my homework. I didn't have to work my way up for years and years because I had been. Yeah. And it was kind of neat. It was a good feeling. And I had a great rapport with all the boys. In the locker room, all uh, management, uh, WWF and Stanford. I, ha I always had a great rapport with them. Um, I, I used to love going up to Stanford, and I do training sessions um, on weeknights. And because at that point we didn't have a ring, um, Gleason's has kind of bumped us out a little because they needed more room for the boxers. And now UWF was starting to fizzle around, and so we didn't have the space. So I'd end up going up, and Vince was very accommodating to me letting me train at the warehouse up in Stanford, across from where uh, 95 uh, North, across from where the corporate offices are. People don't know, but down the other side of the 95, there's a huge warehouse where they store all their equipment and they have all their uh, promos uh, taped and this and that. And they had rings set up. And I went in there a couple of days a week on weekdays and trained. And a lot of times guys would be there doing promos, Macho Man, uh, The Hearts, um, Rick Flair would pop in. They'd be in there doing promos in different uh, segments and, um, uh, you know, just simulcast. They'd be doing all this stuff. And I would, when prime time was big and the whole thing, and they'd be doing a big conference table deal, and they would come out and they'd work with me because yeah. they saw someone, they saw them a little younger when they were first coming up, and they realized, well, this kid has the right attitude. He's, he's in it not for himself, but for the whole the show as a whole, mm -hmm. which was wonderful. Um, yeah, so I remember, I mean, sitting there and having coffee with um, 
uh, uh, Lord Alfred Hayes and uh, Mean Gene Oakland and just sitting there chatting. And these guys are legends, but they couldn't be more down to earth. Yeah. And that was that was a good thing, too. One so, thing one, one thing, thing I always ask people is, um, yes, what is have you got any stories about Vince McMahon? Everyone's got their own opinions on him and different things like that. All positive from people I've talked to within the business. But and you're going to have another mind. And well, you're going to have another positive here. My first show, okay, we're at the Worcester Centrum, and we finish, and they, people all said to me, listen, do not, Vince is in the house tonight, do not approach him, do not go near him, do not bother him, you know, with anything. He goes, just, you know, kind of, if he approaches you, fine, but that's the way it's done with us. And I no, I understand. Well, I gift the gab again from Boston. He, he comes walking in, he's standing there, and there's only a few people, I think, I want to say Roddy Piper was there, and 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 uh, who was in the room? It was it was uh, Legion of Doom. All right, a few bunch of us sitting there, and all of a sudden McMahon walks in, and he kind of walks in, you know, handsome dude walks in in the double-breasted suit and the whole thing, the silk tie, and he stands there and he looks around the room. I get up and they go, "What are you doing? What are you doing? Don't sit down, sit down." I went over, I go. Mr. McMahon, I just want to, I'm Brian Donahue. He goes, yes, hi, how are you? Yeah, pleasure. And I said, listen, I just want to thank you for the opportunity. This was wonderful. I said, if I'm not back again, okay. But I, I said, I had this experience and I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Brian. And he smiled. And just a, just a good guy. I mean, he's a businessman. He's, yeah. a, he's a strong, focused business guy who has a big 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 company to run so i found him you know i mean like i say any boss is is going to be tough here and there but he was he was always fine with me yeah yeah who was your favorite person to work with in the ring well i'd have to say um um both bret hart and owen they were wonderful and um uh just all of that, the Hacksaw Jim Duggan, uh, Legion of Doom, and uh, oh, the, the uh, Natural Disasters, uh, Earthquake and Typhoon, they were fabulous. Uh, every Everyone I worked with, Ricky Steamboat, Rick Flair, all these guys, they were all really, really uh, great to work with. Uh, one quick thing, and I won't go on a long tangent, but they told me, um, you know, they would write in the backstage, they would write on a giant chalkboard and they would say that the listing for each hour for that night, we'd be doing yep. TV tapes. And so they would write this one, this one. Well, sometimes they'd have someone write it that didn't have the best penmanship. All right. They didn't go to Catholic school like me. So they didn't have, you know, so they're writing this, scratching this stuff out. And all of a sudden I look and I said, Oh, I said, wow, I'm in the first, I'm in the first hour, third match. Okay, great. That's wonderful. Then I'm in the second one and I'm thinking, which would be for different tapings, you know, during yep. the month. Well, all of a sudden I look and I go, oh, I said, I'm working with Jake the Snake. It's It said Snake versus Dublin Destroyer. Great. Third match. I find Jake the Snake. I go, uh, I said, sir. I said, Jake. I said, he goes, hey, how you doing, Dublin? What's up? You know, tough, they're all tough dudes. He goes, uh, I go, we'll, we'll be working together tonight. I just want to touch base with you. You know, I just want to say hello. Great. And we're talking, talking a few things out, whatever. And, and great. So now Jake is, Jake is, we're about five minutes from, from our match. 
Jake's over there, and he's got the snake in the bag, and I'm over here, and I'm looking at him. We're eyeing each other. Kill you, kill you, great. And they're going, the crowd's going nuts. You can hear it's feeling like the Raptors, the place going to collapse. And all of a sudden, they said, have you talked to Jimmy Snooker? And I go, no. Rene Goulet says, have you talked to Jimmy Snooker? I go, no. What, what about what? He goes, he goes, you guys are third match. I go, what are you talking about? I said, it's Jake the Snake versus Dublin Destroyer. He goes, no, wait, no. That says Snooker. <laughs> so now I go, Jake. <laughs> No, like he's like, I got the snake ready. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I have to find Snooker. Well, we're in this giant arena. So where where is he? Right? I gotta go find him and let him know because you know, I should have been the one to tell him, hey, we gotta be up third. All of a sudden they go, he's down himself. I go, okay. So I get out of this locker room. And it was one of those old hockey locker rooms and it smelled and terrible. I went in there. And the door was cracked, and I could see the light just from the bathroom in there. And I see someone sitting, facing that way, facing away, right, with the light hitting them. It's Snooker. Well, I had never met him. I go, uh, Mr. Snooker, please. Hello. Hello, kid. And I go, and I couldn't really understand him. He was talking so low. And, and he goes, uh, what, what, do you do? what do you want? I said, we're, we're working together. He goes, when when do we work? I said, um, in about five minutes. <laughs> he goes, five <laughs> minutes. What do you say? He goes, all right. He goes, we'll go in. He goes, I do the pad, you know, the thing, and you kinda uh, you know, when I do right pad, you kinda he goes, we'll talk, we'll talk we'll do in the ring. What? Do in the ring. I said, How about you tell me a little more now? Then I will be okay. No. We got in there, it was fabulous. All of a sudden, he turned and he leaned over to pull that right pad up, and he looked over at me and he got, <laughs> well, like he, he was cueing me. You know what I'm saying? Let's be yeah. honest, he was cueing me. But he was so good and so great at this game that he knew that there was no sweat. Yeah. Same with the Hawks. Same with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Same with Legion of Doom. All these guys, they are consummate pros, and they were. They are they are pros at what they do and they're they're just fabulous. So I I I didn't have any bad experiences and I actually had a great rapport with everyone uh, backstage as well as in the ring. So that was that was great. Yeah, Let, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about stunt work and the yes, dangers sir. that that entails with that. I had Ken <laughs> Kersinger on the show a few weeks ago. He's a wonderful wonderful stuntman as yeah. well. He was in Freddy vs mm -hmm. Jason, various other yes, films. Yes, of course. And yep. I, I was talking to him about just the dangers of like he was telling me that people have been killed doing things like this. Like, what's the most dangerous thing that you've ever done? Uh, well, I've had I've had several several um, several hard hits over the years. Um, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. I was working on a show years ago, and and again, no fault to you know the coordinators, no fault, just the nature of the beast. It is what it is. But I was working on a show called Third Watch. And basically, I was going to be harnessed to a cable, and I was going to be four stories up the side of a building, on the side of a building, and there was going to be scaffolding all underneath me. Well, they had wood there, but it was actual, you know, um, um, uh, planks. And then what they did is they scored them out so they would break away. But basically, I was on a decelerator cable, which means I will drop full speed that first story. And then as I get towards the bottom, the spindle would wind down and, and like a parachute ride in an amusement park. Mm -hmm. And you would slow before, obviously, you hit the ground. We're getting ready to do it. 
and I'm harnessed up the whole thing. And they go, well, we're going to do a, we're going to do a little bit of a test. They take a 300 pound anvil. Okay. And they put this thing on the wire that I'm going to be attached to. And they go, all right, without the boards here, obviously, because they don't want to break them yet. Yeah. And they dropped in three, two, one drop. And it was supposed to be the whole scaffolding shakes and everything starts falling. Well, this anvil went down and dug itself this deep into the ground didn't stop and i said okay they go, okay let's hook them up let's shoot it and i said well wait, wait. the anvil is around that's going to be me in a second i said can we test it again no we're good we did it the spindle worked great there was a wire across the bottom of the scaffolding that obviously the anvil is thinner than me it didn't hit when i dropped i caught the back of my right leg on the wire my foot went under the piping of the scaffolding and i snapped back the wire went across my face and i had i had a contusion this big a blood sack in the back of my leg for probably a year it is still numb and that was in 2001 or 2000. so yeah that was a bang up um i i cracked my neck i've had my eye socket kicked in uh, crack my eye socket, you know, you break fingers all the time. Um, uh, just, you know, knees and quadricep tendon snapping in half. And sometimes it could be the simplest bit, but you take the hits, you know, and you, you bought, it's like running a car for hundreds of thousands of miles. After a while, things just start going that shouldn't go. Like I didn't do anything to this part of my body, but it's given up on me too. So you're just trying to keep yourself going and functioning. Uh, I've been, you know, my back has been wrenched. My back has been out, you know, pulled muscles, um, uh, shoulders, you know, pulled out. Um, just a, just a, the list goes on. I look like that chart when you draw a chart, a medical chart. This, this, this. If you if you dotted that up, there'd be more pixels than me. So how many, yeah, it's, it, go ahead. How many bones do you think you've broken? Uh well, if you count all the little ones and the feet and everything else, probably quite a, maybe 100, 200. But I'm saying, but if you count big ones, like wrists and ankles and knees and things and, and eye socket, well, yeah, that's a bone, eye socket and ear, uh, that whole thing. My neck actually got, got cracked. So it was a break in the neck with obviously no paralyzation, thank God. Knock on wood, no? Um, yeah. But, you know, 100 plus, I mean, over the years. And, and, you know, between wrestling, uh, the stunt work, um, you know, live shows, uh, just, you know, just everywhere. But, yeah, so, yeah, quite a few. Yeah. Some of that was detailed in the documentary, which we're going to talk about now that I seen. Yes, sir. I seen uh, only a couple of months ago. Do you want to explain to people? Uh, I'll put the link in this video of the documentary, but do you want to explain to people Great. how it came about? How the documentary came about? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I actually, um, I had an audition for a commercial. Uh, it was for an online commercial for Aetna, uh, Aetna Healthcare, and they were going to do this thing where they were doing the Aetna sleep study, and basically they were looking for uh, stunt people, and they wanted to show that these people have to face the rigors every day and uh, live a tough lifestyle, so they should be able to adapt and handle any situation. 
Well, now they're showing how sleep affects people that are, uh, by all other accounts, uh, you know, on point all the time. Well, uh, I go in for this audition. It's at a big studio in Manhattan, and it's a bunch of stunt people. But they're they're all, you know, in their 20s. The oldest one was like 30s. And at that point, I'm, I'm you know, in my 50s. So I'm in there and I'm, I'm feeling like someone's grandfather and I'm sitting there looking at them. They don't, you know, these kids are so new. They don't even know who I am yet. And I'm not that I'm not saying it like that, but they didn't know that I've been around a long time thinking this old guy thinks he's a stunt guy and they're kind of snickering. Mm. I think that's OK. Uh, so they bring us in and they say, OK, now uh, one of, and they wanted to do a verbal resume. They, they just want to get a feel for you. Basically, that was the audition. And then they were going to put these goggles on you. They're going to have you pour like a pitcher of water, make a sandwich, do all these simple tasks that people do every day, and then show what sleep depravity can do to people by putting these goggles on that would give the illusion that you were that exhausted, that tired, because they were all blurred out. It's very scientific. And so um, the worst part was when we did the thing with the pitcher, that I did it, I poured the water better with the goggles on. That was kind of strange. But anyway, I was the reverse. But uh, they asked, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I went through, a, you know, a quick resume. I said, you know, I come from a sporting background and this and this and this and acting and film and TV and the Walt Disney World. Then I went here. Then I was, uh, you know, a dub, uh, the Dublin Destroyer WWF. And then I said everything but that I was an astronaut landed on the moon before the other. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I, yeah. So they're looking at me like this guy. He just wants the gig. He's desperate. He's the old guy that thinks he's a stunt man. And the director kept asking me these questions. E.J. McCleavy Fisher, a prominent, prominent up-and-coming director. He's fabulous. Uh, he's out of uh, Williamsburg, and uh, now he's down in Jersey. But he he just was point you know, on point with the documentary. But anyway, he kept asking me questions. And I said, this has nothing to do with that nor of this commercial. I could just tell. But he's like... So uh, tell me about that again. What what happened there? And then you were so you've been doing film and TV, and he kept asking me these questions, and he's writing notes. Well, we get an email from him probably a few days later, and he says, "Listen, if half the stuff you you told us in that room is true, he goes, oh by the way, we're going to be doing this commercial, but just not with you. They were looking for younger, <laughs> with big letters, younger. It like jumped at me. Yeah, no, I don't yeah. get it. So anyway, we we. He said, but I'd love to get together with you. If you have any old footage, any old, you know, I don't know if you have anything, but tapes, uh, pictures, anything that I can kind of browse through to get a feel for you more. And then so I can kind of see how I would do a documentary piece on you. And I said, well, okay. So my wife, Laurie, who has been, you saw her in a documentary. She's been my mainstay for 35 plus years. And she just was yeah. on point. She put together this stuff. I left here to meet him at a diner over in um, um, uh, Northern Boulevard and um, um, on Long Island. Oh, so I, I went to meet him. I walked in. The box was so big and heavy, I had to have the bus boys help me carry it up the stairs. We get it in. I go, here's those tapes you wanted. He goes, my God. But they were all VHS. All right. Showing my age now. They're all VHS tapes. And <laughs> Maurice just goes, VHS? I heard of that. But... But it, it was so it was so bad that EJ had to go and buy at a flea market a um, a VHS player. He had to go buy a machine from the archives. Had to push the dust off the tapes and just to get some footage that he wanted, some archival footage. Well, anyway, 
EJ said, I think we can do something, and I'd love to do an initial interview with you and Laurie. We did that over in um, uh, Sunset, Sunset Gardens, um, uh, Sunnyside Gardens in Queens. We did that in an old pool hall, the opening of the of the documentary. And we um, he had he was so good at, at lining this thing up. He had all these questions for her and I separately to to just kind of base it. And then he would take and go into the archives and then some footage that he came up with that we shot. And so we we started shooting this thing. And, you know, you still don't know how it's going to come out because it's you and it's your wife. And it's like, well, is it going to be interesting? Because we lived it. Sometimes when you live something and it's been so stretched out for 35, 40 years that it it it, it doesn't seem that interesting to you. But he goes, but you've hit on a, a lot of different mediums. And he goes, so yeah. people are going to find interest in at least one of those. And then combined, they're going to enjoy it. Well, he sent us a rough copy. This took years, by the way, because their schedule, our schedule, the whole thing, it takes time. And he sent a rough copy. Well, I watched it here. I watched it on my phone. And I'm looking at it. Tears rolling down my eyes. No exaggeration. And I said, it is wonderful. I said, because one thing, you're playing back everything that you've done in your life. Pretty much it's your life story in front of you. But it was so well put together with the editor, Eric Olley, and Joe Victorine, the uh, director of photography, and uh, Veronica Balta, EJ's wife, as the producer. I mean, they were just so good. The stunt people involved and um, uh, with, with friends of theirs and um, Leo. I mean, just Leo, the stunt coordinator. And they were fabulous. It just, it just, what a nice group. And they did. Music. And, oh, I'm sorry. And the music by... Um, my wife is cueing me over here. I'm sorry. Yeah. Now you know that I'm not really in a fancy studio, huh? Neither am I. Not at the moment. Yeah. Wu-Tang? No, what's it? Go ahead. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so he put this together, and and he said he didn't want to he didn't want to uh, market it too much or sell it, you know, to a, to a group. And then he goes, he goes, the best route for this is to – is to he wasn't looking at it the profit he was looking at it for to show his work and to show the other people's work so it's a good um, um resume type of thing but he wanted it to go to vimeo and um uh, short of the week and uh youtube and then so people could have access to it and more people could get a chance to see it he goes he goes that's the road he wanted to take and that's the road he did but i was just i was impressed as hell with the way they put that together because yeah. I, I didn't find it that interesting, but I had more people from from way back, from people I haven't talked to in 30, 40 years. And, you know, just fabulous. Uh, my wife just showed me a little clip, and she said, the film festivals. Laurie and I went on tour because EJ was so busy doing his commercial work and his documentary work and his uh, human interest story. Mm -hmm. And so any, oh, and Laurie said, and EJ had, they had two babies within this. By the time we shot the documentary, they had two kids. That's how long this thing took. Yeah. But we went on the festival circuit, the film festivals, and it was um, in the um, uh, shot documentary category. It won in some of the most prestigious festivals in the world up in Detroit and up at Flickr's, the Rhode Island Film Festival. Uh, we were in Boston, uh, Connecticut, uh, Mystic Festival. Um IFF uh, Boston and just just all over the place. It actually went over to Australia. I mean, this thing was huge. Wow. So it's kind of neat watching comments and say, "Wow, this guy seems pretty cool and good for him." 
And as I'm reading it, I'm like just coming out of UPS, you know, staggering out of loading crates going, they know that documentary is true, right? Because people think I made that stuff up. They let's go in and pretend you work at McDonald's. Like, no, it's all real. <laughs> it's real. It's a real deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. And I was definitely it was a lot of fun. I would definitely encourage people to watch that documentary anyway, and that's I will leave it in the description of this Thank video. You. Thank you. Brian, thanks a million for your time today. I'd love to have you back on again sometime soon because we have right. so much I'll more to I'll see you tomorrow. In. I'll see you tomorrow. I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thanks so Listen, much, Brian. Thank you so much. God bless. And uh, we will talk to you soon. And, th and thank you for having me on again. I really appreciate it. And Laurie, say hi. hi. Come in. No, come here. Come in. Let's, Can Laurie let's, say let's, hi? Yeah, let's see the woman behind the man. Yeah, the woman behind the man. Okay. Hi. Hi, Lori. I get it. Hi. Stop. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much. You. Thanks, Brian. I'll be in touch. Thank you, sir. Wonderful. An absolute Thank pleasure. You so much.